Choose Love family. Welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer essential life skills and tools that help us connect in healthy and meaningful ways to manage our emotions, to grow through difficulties and challenges as we face in life, to make responsible decisions and more. We are not born with these life skills, but we can learn them at any age and they provide a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in our life and to flourishing. And we need them now more than ever. The Choose Love movement is now in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country and over 100 countries. Today, we have a very special guest, Bree Sedano, CEO of Sheep to Shark. Sheep to Shark aims to inspire and enable women to define their own success and live life on their own terms. That sounds pretty good to me. Bree started her career at Edward Jones, and I actually worked at Edward Jones too after my divorce. I'm so happy that Sarah Lucian, formerly of the Boys and Girls Clubs in Bristol, Connecticut, introduced us. She brought Choose Love to the Boys and Girls Clubs and knows these essential life skills can work with everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, Bree. Oh, I'm so, so happy to have you with you. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, thank you for being here. So I wanted to start off with a few statistics from your website uh, that I was browsing. So did you know that 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck? 70% of married people don't know how to budget. 44% of people cannot cover a $1,000 emergency. 41% of women have student loan debt they cannot pay off. And uh, this was really interesting to me. 76% of successful women suffer with disappearing money syndrome. <laughs> and of course, your website asks, are you one of them? What is disappearing money syndrome, Brie? Oh, goodness. So disappearing money syndrome is, <laughs> it is the phenomenon where, you, where the money that you should be directing toward it whatever it is that you actually really want to do with disappears. <laughs> and then you're like, what happened? And you read your statements and you're like, you ever get a statement and you're like, I've been robbed. Somebody stole my identity. And then you like look closer and you're like, Oh, I went there. My last credit card statement. I, I did that. I thought I paid that off. And it's <laughs> those mad. kids What's needed shoes. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. <gasps> so that is disappearing money syndrome. And so it's really just about, like it's like, it's like a little bit of a joke. It's not actually like a medical illness, but it's, it's the situation that happens when your money is being spent unintentionally. And then you feel like it disappeared and you didn't get to do what you wanted with it. Yeah. Those little things like the Amazon charges, they really add up. Primnesia, primnesia. <laughs> primnesia. I love that. Oh my God. All these terms. It's so true. So why did you start Sheep to Shark? Yeah, so I, so I worked at a boys and girls club uh, the early part of my career. And there were two points there worth mentioning. So one was I was happy and I loved it, but I wasn't making enough money. So I taught myself how to trade stack options, which I, would, which I don't recommend. It's very stressful um, for me. It was very stressful for me. And later on, I started to, like, I started to, hate it. I would get like a hot pit of anxiety every Sunday. And so I was whining to my mom one day and she was like, well, you already taught yourself how to trade stock options. Why don't you become a financial advisor? And I'm from like, my grandfather sold stocks and bonds after world war II. He did it his entire career. My uncles did the same thing. My mom worked on wall street. My dad did insurance. My aunts were bankers. So this was all like very familiar to me. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I just, I applied to Edward Jones. I got a I got a job. I got, I took my series seven and I started working with clients and I ended up with an independent firm also. And what I realized was people were having problems with their money that investments couldn't solve. Like people were coming to see me with student loans and credit cards and, and all these other financial problems where like the best investments ever wasn't the, what the solution was different. And when I started to see that and it, 
it's not just the problem, but it was like the literal like upset in their lives. And like people were coming to see me stressed in pain, ashamed, devastated. Like people cried in my office with their unopened statements. And I was like, what am I doing selling investments? Like this doesn't solve the issue that actually most people are having. And the truth is the work that I do and like the money coaching habits, um, mindset, emotional intelligence around money there's not enough people in the world doing the work that I do. And you can buy stocks and bonds, like probably in four or five places in your own town, right this second. Um, so I decided that I was going to start to shift my work more on cash flow, habits, mindset. And when you go far enough down that rabbit hole, it takes you into energetics and emotional intelligence. And I love it. This lights me up. Like it makes me super happy. I remember those Sunday nights because I, I don't know if my audience knows this, but I used to be a bond trader and an investment banker Sunday nights. I would be sick. (laughs) It was so stressful going in on Monday morning. So I'm really happy to do what I'm doing now, which is choosing love (laughs) for myself and for everybody else. Um, Yeah. And you're right though. You're right. There's not enough people and there's such a huge need to understand finances. Um, and, and just because you understand stocks and bonds does not mean that you understand your own personal finances. Um, on your website, you say emotional spending is like emotional eating. (laughs) I thought that was an interesting correlation. And I think that that's true. Yeah. Some, Either way, it's consumptive behaviors. So a lot of times when we buy things, we're usually, if you can imagine with me for a second, that most of the time when we buy things, we're buying two things. So we're always buying the item that we're buying, whether or not it's a bottle of water, sandwich, a new, new, I don't know, anything. Most of the time we're either buying the item and time, we're buying the item and mental energy, or the item and the, and then a corresponding emotion that comes with it. And so if you have a lot of us spend for emotional reasons, we spend to numb, we spend to be happy, we spend to feel better. We spend, we spend for a lot of these, these reasons. And if that's not addressed, you can very easily over consume in your snacking, <laughs> in, in your snacking or in your spending it's uh, most of the time we're consuming like that is to fill some sort of need. It's to feel full in some way. That's fascinating because that's where finances and emotional intelligence correlate and yeah. come together. That is amazing. And it's so true. I feel myself doing that, you know, like relying on food and uh, to make myself feel better sometimes. And uh uh, so that's emotional eating, but I, but I can also emotionally spend, I know that I've done that in my life too, to make myself feel better, to, to make, to make, uh, myself feel more worthy. Um, yeah, definitely. Wow. So, so what is the first step to personal power in your finances? So for most of us, the first step in like personal power with our money is learning how to actually desire. It's learning how to dream. So this isn't everybody's problem, but it's a pretty common problem is most of us haven't had real desires for what we want our lifestyle to look like. And there's, there's limiting beliefs that wrap around that. So sometimes there's the idea of like poverty being pious or noble, or like, I'd have to be a greedy capitalist pig to want something like that, Mm. or I don't deserve it, or I just don't need it. You know what I mean? Like the idea that you have to need something to be able to have it is like the cutest little limiting belief that we have around money. Um, And it's everywhere. So being able to actually desire what you want from your lifestyle is actually the number one thing, because once you desire and decide that you're going to have it, all of the channels inside your subconscious open up to starting to see the opportunities to, to bring it to you. But if you don't decide that you're going to have it, if you never desire it and decide that you're going to have it, those, that part of your brain, it's called your reticular activating system, like stays off to it. It stays closed and you'll never see the opportunities that are already available to you to possibly have whatever it is that you want. So desiring 
desiring is super possible. The other thing about desire that's kind of like we don't really talk about is that desire drives growth. Desire, you know, like people are made to grow. We're made to expand in our lifetimes. You know, we're made to do bigger and better things as we, as we get older, you know, as we progress. And that's something that if that in our culture and society, most of us have had that tamped down for us. There's a lot of like wet blankets on our desire, our ability to, to desire. But as you do that, as you embrace those desires, you have to become the person who can have them, which generally means growth in your personal self, growth professionally, growth in your ability to manage money or whatever else. A lot of self-awareness. So much self-awareness. Yes. Right. Yeah. Just even to be aware of your wants and your needs is pretty basic, but some people don't have that. No. And most of, for most of people who have trouble with it, it's, they've like forgotten about it. And most of it comes from childhood. It's like you ask your mom for like a penguin and a taco and a gummy bear all in the same car ride. And she tells you, no, I'm not buying you a penguin. What, like what's wrong with you? I'm not buying you a taco and I'm not buying you a gummy bear and please stop asking me for stuff. Like that's, it's the most like, and as a parent, if you're, if you have kids, you know that you've been that mom in the car who's been like, dude, stop asking me for like, what are you even enough, (laughs) enough. Um, But that's, that's essentially like how we start to tamp the things down. And so desires, letting them loose, Uh, And if your listeners want like a fun little activity is to play with the idea of wanting something you don't need, put something outrageous in your journal, write write about it and see what it feels like. If the desire feels so different than need. Um, And it could be something literally the most outrageous thing. You don't have to have a plan to get it and putting a plan around it can add a lot of pressure actually. So even just to learn how to desire is like make a list of super outrageous things that you maybe don't even really anticipate ever getting, but it's more of learning how to do it and playing because it's playful. It's playful to desire. Like it's fun. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's really fun. And so what are the connections between money and personal power? Oh, so money is, you know, personal power runs in a lot of different avenues, but money is a, is money is the personal power of creation is the way that I see it. It's exchange. So as you give service, you are going to receive payment and the more and more service and the more and more goods and the more and more, um, you help other people, the more that you can receive. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, keeping those like those avenues clear helps you to give it your fullest level which also provides like the most fulfillment and the most joy and so when your money channels are clear you're often very able to create uh the life that the lifestyle that you want and to be generous in the ways that you want to be generous um and it's it's a powerful place to be to be able to possess and control that much energy, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's like pulling that personal power back into your internal self. So your internal locus of control that you have control over it. And it's not controlled by external events or things over which you have no control that leads to helplessness and hopelessness. But when you pull that back inside and you start to learn how to take control, then that gives you the ability to have hope, to have dreams, to set goals and, and to keep those in sight. I think, do you agree? Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. That was a very nice way of putting that. Yeah. It's money is a, it's an interesting phenomenon because there's so many levels of where people can be when they look at it. So some people look at money and see it as like this dirty evil substance or like it's limited or like it's not made for people like them. Mm -hmm. And as you understand more about how money works and more about your own self in your, in how, what, what you want money to do for you, the more you move closer to living the life that you design and create. Based on any income, right? 
Yeah, I've had it. What's interesting is um, your desires generally will take you to the edge of your earning capacity. Um, so people who don't have a desire, like people who not every, not all professions have the ability to give like impact as many people as other professions do. They just don't. And so if the thing that you really want to do in this world has a small impact, chances are your desires are going to be reflected in your earning capacity. And if the thing that you want to do has a great impact on the world, you're going to have desires that will take you to a bigger, higher earning capacity. And none are better or worse than the other. It's just the way that I've seen it work. You know, I think about everything that I did before Jesse's murder. And uh, I, I think about how, you know, when I say did all of my, all of my job decisions and all the jobs that I took were all out of fear and they were so, you're right. They did. They limited me also in, in lifestyle and, and even in my my thinking patterns, because it was all fear-based and that's not how we want to live. I mean, that's the whole point of choose love is that you choose love over fear. And so you can imagine me as a single mom, um, sole provider for my two kids. And I'm sitting on that couch and I'm thinking, um, I have a steady paycheck at that point. Right. And I, and I thought, oh my God, but I don't want to go back to that life. I don't want to go back to what I was doing that didn't have meaning <laughs> really to me. I mean, it was good. I, I enjoy everything that I do, but it, it was good, but it, it didn't, it didn't make the world a better place. I didn't see anything beyond just what was right in front of me. And, uh, and so when I made that leap, everything changed and, uh, and it was choosing love literally. So, and you can do that in your finances as well. Um, how, how do, how do you start to change your spending and increase your personal powers you were talking about? All right. So we have uh, three primary resources in our life, your time, your money, your mental energy. So time is your time. You know, I mean, I don't need to explain that your money is your money and you know what that is. Mental energy is different because mental energy is far more limited than your time is. Like, I'll tell you, for me, I probably have four or five good hours of mental energy in a day, mental energy that could create something that could move something. You know, I can watch little Netflix, answer my emails, scroll the interwebs. And that does require a very small amount of mental attention. But if I was to help a client or do something, there's, there's far less of that. And so when you think about changing your spending, you also need to think about, does my change move the problem to a time or a mental energy problem? So let's just say, for example, I, you were to look at your grocery bill and say, oh, I've been, we spend too much money on groceries. Okay, problem. We, we have identified it. So if you take the route of clipping coupons, there's going to be a cost in mental energy for that. You're going to pay in mental energy instead of in money. And the rewards for coupons are very low for the cost of the mental energy. So you have to factor that in. Sometimes we'll say, all right, well, I'll go to stop and shop for my produce, but I'll go to Aldi's for my cabinetry goods and I'll go to the meat market for the meats and I'll go to all these different stores so I could get all the best prices. And that costs a lot of time. Mm. And so when you're trying to change your spending, the best way to do it is to find ways that are going to save money, time and mental, mental energy all at once. So I have a program called Find Your Bleed and that's where we start to look at like, one, we want the first thing if you're looking at redirecting money, you want to know very, very clearly what you want to redirect that money to. Because changing your spending without knowing why you're changing it makes it borderline impossible to stick to. So let's say you are you say to yourself fully and completely, listen, I haven't been on a vacation because I waste all my money on crap from Amazon and I'm tired of this and I don't want to do this anymore. I make enough money to go on vacation and I'm going, cause now it's, now we know what we want to redirect it to and we know why we want to redirect it. And it could be, I want to redirect it, you know, to build a retirement savings. I want to redirect it toward being debt free. I want to redirect it toward whatever else. And so you have to know what you're redirecting it for. So that way when the time comes and you're making a choice, you can say, do I want to go to the 
grocery store a second time this week or do I want to take the money on vacation? Do I want to do this or do I want to do that? You want to really get to the point where you're going to say, no, I'm going to direct the money toward the thing that I want to do it. So the first thing when you're looking through your transactions is you want to eliminate any waste, anything that like if you were going to buy too much groceries and throw them away, like anybody else ever like a domestic goddess when they're at the grocery store buying all the organic kale and then like Tuesday night comes and you're like, um, I'm really going to need a pizza. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to need a pizza. And then we, <laughs> and then the organic kale slowly rots in the back of the refrigerator. At least okay. I have chickens. So nothing goes to waste. <laughs> But yes. <laughs> yeah, we actually, I, we also have chickens, so we don't waste it. But so, so if you're going to throw it out, if you're paying for a gym membership, you haven't been to in the six years, you know, if you have subscriptions for magazines that come and just sit in a stack, you know, anything where you're paying for it, but you're actually not enjoying it. You don't want it. You, if, if you were to stop getting it, literally, there would be no difference in your quality of life. That's where you want to start. Because most of us have, have some of that in our finances. And when you get rid of that, there's no sacrifice. There's no, there's no pain. You just, you just get a win. Then you want to look a layer deeper and you want to look for inefficiencies in your household. So literally like grocery shopping. Most people are going to the grocery store more than once a week. They're buying their clothes more than once a quarter. They're buying clothes all the time. They're and so it's not how much you spend, but it's how many transactions you have. That's the best way to increase efficiency. So like things mm -hmm. that I recommend, there's like literally one grocery store trip a week. If there's somebody who also does bulk grocery stores, you know, put that in either once a month or once a quarter, depending on your family. You know, so I always get a little pushback on that. So be like, I go to Costco to buy my cucumbers. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm not going to fight with you, but um well, you got to set your priorities, right? You do. And so, and, and, you know, there's, there's not a right and a wrong way. It's just, it's just efficiency that works for you. Um, but a cost, you know, when you're at Costco, one impulse purchase is going to be 12 to $15. So the money that you could save on the discounted cucumbers versus buying cucumbers at the grocery store, you make one impulse purchase. You should have just bought the cucumbers at the grocery store. Well, it's so funny at Costco, an impulse purchase for me is like a couch or a bedroom set. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've That's, done that before. <laughs> or like the best beach towels ever. Yeah. Right. Patio furniture. Which you never knew that you needed. Like a baby goat. <laughs> I know there's all sorts of things available. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's endless. Right. Um, so you, you want to look for like ways to make it efficient. So I usually tell clients grocery shop once a week, you want to get your household goods all the way down to once a month. So like if you were going to do an, you know, a target trip or an Amazon trip, you know, try to try to get there, you know, once a month to think about all the things you're going to need in a month, because not only so you you condense your mental attention. So it, it helps to save it helps to save the money. It helps to save time and it helps to save the mental attention. Cause you know, you're driving home from work, your kid calls and they're like, we're out of toilet paper. It's one of those things that's just like a low grade stress, low grade mental energy drain. You walk through target, you know, um, has anybody else been to target for toilet paper, but left with like $184 worth of stuff like that's Oh, absolutely. And those things definitely add up. And then you don't even remember what you bought. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like a trance. It's like a trance when you get in there. Yeah. Like even, even it, it smells good. Like <laughs> It's amazing. They do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. The songs are relaxing. The aisles are high enough where you feel like you're alone. You're just pushing your cart gloriously down the aisles. Yeah. Yes. Um, so like clothes, you probably be, want to be buying like once a quarter. If you already have a well-established wardrobe, maybe twice a year. And so not that you couldn't buy something else otherwise, but you really want to work on like saving money and then going with your clothing budget for the quarter, for the, for the season. So that way it, there's a level of satisfaction that happens when you do it all at once. Like it's the difference between eating a munchkin or eating a donut. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. You could be part of the solution too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org. It's very easy to overconsume one little 
one little munchkin at a time. And so for your listeners who aren't, uh, who don't have access to Dunkin' Donuts, they're not everywhere. A munchkin is a donut hole. And like in Connecticut around here, like if you were to look in the office back room or something of most places, there'd be like a box of these donut holes and it's easy to eat all of, you know, 55 donut holes in a day. Cause you're going to walk by, you're going to take one little bite. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but you wouldn't four four munchkins is one donut and you wouldn't eat a second or a third or a fifth donut, mm-hmm. but somehow one bite at a time, it's like, what happened to 55 munchkins? And you're like, I'm going to feel like crap tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so increasing efficiency really helps. And then, and then the, the next layer is to really look at like low joy purchases. So low joy purchases are things that really they're going to, they're going to end up being clutter in your house. There's no lasting joy. There's no, um, they're not going to help your lifestyle goals. They're not going to help your financial goals. And the momentary benefit that you get from them is very fleeting. The hit so, of oxytocin. Yeah. So everybody's, everybody's low joy okay. purchases are their own. Um, but I'll give some common examples that I've seen. So a lot of it is like, um, I'll see a lot of cheap fashion. Uh, a lot of low joy purchases can end up being like convenience foods, like food for food that's only the main purchase is convenience, not nourishment, not delicious, Mm, not social interaction, just convenience. Um, You know, if you have like a box of makeup that you don't use from Sephora, that was probably like $1,200 worth of stuff over three years. And it's just going bad. Low joy purchases. Um, If you're with your kids and you buy, you know, those little cheap plastic toys or whatever, that's most, you will most certainly step on and throw away in the next three months. Uh, that could be a low joy purchase. And so it's not a, it's not a hard and fast judgment. There's not like a rubrics, but if you look through the stuff that you have in your house and you're like, eh, low joy purchase, you look through your transactions, low joy purchase. And that's where you start to, you have to look at the emotional side. Cause most lawyer, most low joy purchases um, came from a place of seeking convenience, getting out of exhaustion or some sort of emotional, you know, sometimes we can fill our emotional needs um, with things that you can buy with money. But the trick is that actually doesn't help for long. Like you can feel gorgeous today buying new lipstick, but if you don't feel gorgeous without lipstick, you're going to need more lipstick once you get bored of the lipstick you just bought today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a good lead into having an abundant life. I think that, you know, I talk about what we all want. We all want to flourish and having an abundant life sounds so wonderful. What does that even mean? So to me, abundance is not excess. Abundance is curation. So it's having what you don't want or have, it's having everything you want, but nothing that you don't is an abundant life. It's having the space to create. It's having time in your calendar. It's having mental energy. It's being able to give the way that you want to give to move freely in the world, the way that you want to move. To me, that's what abundance is. And so um, it's very, curation is very different than just collecting. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times people kind of mistake excess collection, like an episode of hoarders is what true abundance looks like. That's, that's what, that's what unfettered, unadulterated, straight abundance is, an, is really what's happening in an episode of hoarders. Cause there's no curation. There's no. And so when you get to the, when there's no curation, you can end up with excess and that's, which is funny. Cause it's, it's not abundance. Then you're back into scarcity. Like if you could imagine, like, it's kind of like hoarders, a certain is, is based on scarcity and not abundance, right? I mean, when you're a hoarder, you're hoarding things just like you saw with toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic because you feel like there's not enough, correct? So it's scarcity and abundance are both available at all the times if you can see them both. And so scarcity may be hoarders and it may be a house with nothing in it. Like it's there, it's the same thing because either way you can't enjoy what you have. If you have so much, if you have so much that you can't enjoy any of it, did you win? 
No. Right. And if you don't have anything that you can't enjoy anything that you win. And so to, if you get too far into abundance, it turns into excess. I guess that's where I'm going with it. And then okay. you're back so to you scarcity. Like could be abundance and scarcity, but abundance with excess so that you can't enjoy the abundance. Yeah. And so when it's like, when you go to an art museum, the, the walls are curated. There's space in between. A great example. To, to wonder the pieces that were picked were picked for a reason. They go together. They, it makes the space be cohesive. And so that's really where we want to be. So when you're thinking about the curation of your calendar, for example, well, do I want to do this? Does this bring joy? Am I going to be happier for having done this? Or do you have stuff in your calendar that's excessive? Have you said yes to things that you don't actually want to say yes to? You know, wow, have you I read- love that concept, the curation of your calendar and your time. Yeah. And, and your thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So you, you want to curate your, even like your mental attention, you want to really start to curate, like, what do I consume? You know, am, am I consuming like, you know, on a nutrition level, am I consuming food that would say I highly value myself or am I consuming, you know, like for scarcity and time, which will end up being food for convenience. So you want to start to curate like your, what you do with your money. And so when you decide to do less with your money, it's actually more potent to do the things that you actually do want, you know? So it's maybe I, maybe I skip happy hour with my coworkers on Thursdays. Cause I actually really don't enjoy the time. Like it's not actually fun. And over the course of a year, you know, that's what I redirect toward plane tickets to Greece, or that's what I redirect. And so it's really about the curation of your desires. And it's about the curation of what you bring into your house, what you bring in, you know, what you'll br- put into your earbuds or what you watch on the TV. It's the curation of what you say you'll do. So that way you have the time to do the things you want. And it's really all three. It's because money, money by itself, you, you need time and mental energy to enjoy the money that you work for. Like having, having money, like I've had a lot of clients who have money, but they don't have time to enjoy it. And so then they spend it all on stuff that doesn't actually make them happy because they don't have the freedom to be able to enjoy or the mental energy, you know, the money gets uh, sprayed all over like a, like a garden hose because they don't have the mental attention to direct it anywhere. That's so incredible. It just brought up a memory for me when I was doing investment banking and we literally work seven days a week. And I remember my boyfriend at the time bringing me a plate of eggs and bacon at work. It was Saturday morning and he put it down and he said, cause we don't have time to have breakfast together cause you're always working. So I thought I would bring you breakfast. And it just made me so, it, like, I cried cause it was like just all work and no play <laughs> makes Jack a dull boy. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was a while till I made changes, but, but yeah, it's, you, you, you definitely can go one extreme over the other and you have to enjoy life. We're here to, as Jesse said, have a lot of fun and we need to make sure that, that every part of our, um, our being is, is focused on that and, and available and, and able, and that's not just, um, mentally, physically, and emotionally, but that's also financially, of course, that's really, really important. Yeah. And you'll find that in the personal development world, often there's an investment, there's often financial investments that get made with the work that we do. Um, you know, you can only get so far in personal development before you have to make a financial investment. And so it's redirecting those monies into yourself. If that's what, if that's, what's important to you, it's like, it's about figuring out what what, the life that you want and then being able to create it, but it's, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything because there's not enough time in the world to enjoy everything. There's like, you will die well before you've had the opportunity. Like 
before you could enjoy every delicious thing there is to enjoy before you could go to every fantastic place. So you can have anything, but not everything. Mm -hmm. And that's where the curation comes in. And because also if you have expectations of everything, that anything that you do get will feel disappointing. Mm. So true. Absolutely. So, so my curiosity is piqued. Will you tell us about the programs that you offer? Yeah. So the first three programs that I offer are like self-study courses. So the first one is find your bleed. And we actually, that was just what I talked about where, mm-hmm. where there's a process where I teach how to track your money. And it's not just like I teach on mint, you can use whatever software or however, however anybody's been tracking, you don't have to use mint. Um, but how to look at it, how to see the habits, how to see the habits, not just the numbers. Cause most people miss the forest for the trees when they're tracking their money. Then I have, you know, through my experience, I've seen pretty much all the places people have money that they're, that we would call wasting. It's just, and it's not, it's just money that you're not enjoying money that there's no benefit to you that you're spending. It's either ending up in clutter in your house or just charges that you're not, you're not using. So we first, there's that and there's no sacrifice there. So it's a really good place to start because you get some momentum in the, the, the direction. Then we work on increasing household efficiencies. Then we work on changing the habit loops associated with low joy purchases. And so that's, that's like the first program that I usually suggest people start with. Now that program is really for people who have enough money, but it doesn't go to where that, where it's supposed to go. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the problem that you, that's solved with that program. And then we do a program that I, that's called plenty. And from there we teach scarcity mindset. Um, so scarcity is scarcity is a, a circumstance. It's, it's a physical response and it's a belief system all at the same time. So the idea that there's not enough scarcity to me in my body feels like panic it, to me. Scarcity feels the same way as if somebody cuts you off real close and you you almost crash into them. And it's an amygdala response. It's a fight or flight response. And so to your body, it feels like a, a fear of starvation. So when you're in scarcity, your body's looking to conserve energy, um, basically by taking it from your prefrontal cortex, which is like, what do you call it? The human brain? Yep. The human brain. And you redirect that to be able to like go hunt an antelope at any moment. So like, all day, the only thought your prefrontal cortex is like money, 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 money. And your body's ready to like, go, (laughs) go pick some berries or go, go chase a wild, delicious beast. And so what's interesting is that because we never actually solve our money problems by chasing a delicious beast, um, we have to, we have to learn to sit with it. And so I teach the ways that scarcity most commonly manifests for people in their transactions and what to do about that. And so that is, uh, that's learning that, that having that level of self-awareness will help you to check in with yourself as like, you're saying to yourself, all right, well, should I go buy 64 cans of canned tomatoes today? Because I did get paid, you know, like, it's, it's stuff like that. It's like stocking up to the point of excessiveness, FOMO, um, depriving yourself of tiny luxuries or tiny upgrades. Like one time I had a client who was like, this is, a, these are, this is people who are making almost $200,000 a year. I'm going to just, just give that to you is like, so she sends me a WhatsApp message and she's like, I'm at the grocery store and I need a new t- toothbrush and I'm feeling like I shouldn't spend the $4. And I was like, what? <laughs> just buy the toothbrush just, just you just get it like of all the things of all the things to cut back on get focusing the toothbrush on the wrong we'll things. focusing yeah. on the wrong things redirecting her attention away from what's really important yeah and so it's so sometimes though that's the way scarcity feels like oh I shouldn't I shouldn't get my oil changed I shouldn't get a toothbrush I shouldn't spend money on anything and that really causes other problems down the road it's a very scarcity thinking and so we go through all of the different ways so that way as a person you can identify the way scarcity shows up for you and if you're married the way scarcity shows up for your spouse because often when if you're married or if you're living with someone it's very easy to see them behaving in scarcity 
because it might be different than your scarcity. And you're like, what are you doing? That doesn't make sense, but you might have your own little bag of crap. And so understanding the ways that you both act in scarcity is is incredible for how you're going to treat each other in your discussions about money going forward. Um, that's really funny. Cause when you notice it in somebody else, a lot of times within you too, that's how you can notice it. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. But it shows up a little different. I might be the person who gets money and feels like winter is coming and I'm never going to have money again. So I must go to Costco. I must get all the canned tomatoes where my husband might be the person who, who gets the money and is nervous and then doesn't pay the bills on time, even though he has the money because he's nervous to let it go out because it's never coming back. It's in where one person where the, the person with the canned tomatoes might be like, why would you do that? Now you're going to pay a late fee. That doesn't make sense. And he might be like, why are you, why are you using the money for six years worth of baking soda? Like what, what's wrong? You know? And so this is really where people get into a lot of disagreements around money. It's because my scarcity doesn't exactly match your scarcity. And so I see it very clearly and um, obviously I'm going to judge it. Like, of course we're going to judge each other's scarcity and then we're going to fight about it. And the whole thing, um, it can really cause a lot of contention in, in romantic relationships. And so what we want to do is just understand what we do when we're in scarcity. So that way, when you're aware of it, you can, you can make choices. Like when you choose love, like you can make those conscious choices. And when you see your spouse doing it, you can talk them through their scarcity instead of complaining about their use of dollars for so many cans of tomatoes. You know, you can address like, oh, wow, that's, I see you really engaging in your FOMO. I really see you engaging in your whatever, something going on for like what's going, you can address the scarcity because scarcity is just a feeling, you know, you can address it. Um, and the more that you, you address the scarcity instead of, because scarcity, because it's a fight or flight response, the only thing you want to do when you're in scarcity is do something. You're like, I need to do something about this immediately. Scarcity is a very urgent feeling. And um, based on fear. And, and yeah. I wonder if, has the, have you noticed with the people, your clients that have signed up for this program that the pandemic has triggered a lot of scarcity in people? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the pandemic was actual, it's not, that was not just in our heads, actual supply chains broke down. Like, act, like our supply chains literally broke down, like stores were closed. The availability of goods was, was not readily available. And so the abundance that we're normally very accustomed to was no longer there. And so having a scarcity response during the pandemic was perfectly normal. And it's not an indication that anything's wrong with somebody. I'll tell you, there was a day, listen, I, I mean, I drink from time to time. Like I'll have a glass of wine, I'll have a beer, but I really am not a person who drinks at my house. I'm really not. But I will tell you that when I thought the liquor stores were going to close, I had a flood of panic in my body. That was so real. I went to the package store and I bought wine. I don't even drink. <laughs> I bought like sweet red wine. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink dry red wine because everything was sold out. So I was like, and I got it in a box. I got it. I'm a little bougie. I am a little bit bougie. I like nice things. And so for me to buy wine, I don't like in a box <laughs> doesn't even make sense. But I will tell you, it's such a scarcity response that I was like, well, if I need wine, that's going to last a long time because, because I was like, because if I have a bottle that I have to drink it all. And I was like, I don't know how long this lockdown is going to be. I don't know. These kids are here all day. What if I need, what if I need wine? What if I need this? Like I had a legitimate panic and I will tell you the wine, the wine went bad because I don't, it's not in my habits to be drinking like that, but it was so real that that scarcity, it got me. And I was like aware of what was happening because I do this work, you know? So I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it happen you know, I'm not going to fight it because who knows, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to just let myself address the scarcity for my own subconscious being who's terrified right now. And so as long as you can be like we were saying before, self-aware and know that you're doing it in the moment and then be resilient enough to stop what is going on because you can't live like that forever. You cannot live and make, you know, good decisions based in fear. No, no, you really can't. But the pandemic having everybody probably experienced some scarcity during the pandemic 
because the entire situation of the world adjusted. And so scarcity is a, a response for a reason. Like it's your brain protecting you from starvation. That's what it, that's why you, you know, like the same way, you know, if somebody, if somebody really threatened you, you're going to have a response. If, um, you know, if there was a wild bear close to you in the backyard, you're going to have a response. And it, you know, fear, fear does something good for us. Um, sometimes, you know, when we're, when we're responding, you know, to having to make a PowerPoint presentation in front of a room of our peers, the same way we would respond to a bear chasing us, that's not helpful. But in the case of the pandemic, your, your physiological response to that is just an indication that your brain is doing its job. It's, it's fine. So just be, you got to be gentle with yourself too. You can't, you know, we forgive you if you were the one that bought the extra toilet paper. It's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think everybody did that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so scarcity is, so learning that self-awareness is really good. And then the, one of the bits that I teach um, with a, an offer that I call the invisible system is a, is a structure to manage money. And it's based on the way that human behavior actually works. It's based on the ways that we can actually mentally account for things. So most budgets don't fit the way that human beings actually mentally account for, for like our, our mental accounting systems in our brain are very flawed. And so when you have a, like a budget, let's say with hundreds of, you know, a hundred line items, a good household budget is really going to have, you cannot mentally keep clear tabs on all those numbers because they're all going to be moving. And so I teach a system where you divide your money by purpose rather than by line item. And so we break it down into like three, three different types of savings. So planting, preparing, and pleasure, and then two different types of spending. So for your bills and for your pocket money, <clears throat> and you divvy out your resources that way. And you, because the, I'll tell you the number one question people ask me is they're like, well, like, just tell me how much money I can spend every week without ruining my life. It's like basically it. And so that system does that. And um, that's like, in terms of getting momentum toward building wealth, those three things um, will get you, get you a really far, far away. That's did that awesome. answer all of your questions? Yeah, it did. So you've got three basic programs and they kind of build upon one another. The first is stop the bleed. The second is based on overcoming that scarcity mentality. Yep. And then the third is really, really delving in and figuring out a system towards wealth, personal wealth. Well, and it's like, it's cash flow management. So it does, it essentially does the same job of a budget, but it does it with a system instead of a plan. So you build financial infrastructure in your own bank accounts and you're like, you build the financial infrastructure. So that way you're not just counting on a plan. If, does it, so a plan is going to say, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do with my money. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But the structure means that the money is actually in the places that it goes. And so you, you use a mix of like, you automate the habits that are the habits that you want and you do manually um, a lot of the spending habits. So that way you can really be clear around what money is going where. And then the, like, you know, the planting, preparing and pleasure, that money should get set up automatically. And so it works, it works with the way that humans being actually operate and people love it. People love the invisible system. It's yeah. I think about, I think about our conversation today and I think about how this so completely ties in with social and emotional intelligence. And I think about the fact that, you know, at 53, I could really use all three of these and learn from them um, with my own finances, even though I've been in the financial markets and world, um, because we don't learn this stuff at school. And a lot of times our, our parents don't know. And I, interestingly, I say that all the time about social and emotional intelligence, but now I'm saying that about finances too. And it's so true. Like these are the, what we're talking about today are also essential life skills that we're not born with, but that we can learn. And they're not hard to, to learn, but 
I mean, it, it can change your life and give you freedom, both of these things, social, emotional intelligence and finances. And it's, it's just so important. I think that you and I should partner and do a program for, I say this when, when I see a gap in the education system, but truly this is a huge gap. Don't you think? It definitely is. The thing that's tricky is that, all right. So one of the biggest myths about money and money management is that it's simple common sense because it's just addition and subtraction. The math to manage household finances is 100% not the problem. Never and never in my entire, I've talked with thousands of people. Never has somebody said to me, I literally cannot do the math. Mm-hmm. Never. Because, because, because maybe even if you couldn't, you could get a, you could buy a calculator accounting system that yeah, or account. you can, you can use a calculator to figure it out. Right. You could, somebody can run the numbers for you. If let's say you had something complicated, then you, you couldn't, didn't want to do the math. It's not complicated math though. To do no, this. it's not. Yeah. Nobody's ever said to me, I can't do the math. I can't make the math work. You cannot make the math work because there's not enough money and it shows up negative, but that is not because you cannot figure out the math. It is because the math doesn't work for your life. It's not because the math didn't work. So here's the thing about money though. It's that personal finance is not math. Math is one of many things, but like I, I teach personal finance all day. I keep my accountant on Boxer. I can send her a message because when it's, when it's your money, If I was to do your money right now, Scarlett, I would tell you with 100% certainty exactly what to do because to me, your money is just math. We're going to figure out your goals. We're going to make a plan. It's going to be the easiest thing in the world to me, but you know why? Because I don't feel your emotions. I don't feel your fears. I don't feel any of your, your tribulations or turbulations on any of it. And so when we go to do the plan, I'm going to hear your goals. I'm going to understand what needs to go into your life and I'm going to make the math so I'm going to do solve a math problem. When it's my money, I feel all those fears. I feel all those trepidations. I feel all those conflicting priorities. I feel all of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's what clouds the decisions. Like it's not my inability. It, I do this, but literally I'll call my accountant to be like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Can you please just tell me I'm not crazy? Because when it's your own money, there's all the, there's so much more at stake in your own personal finances. So one of the things where people really have a lot of embarrassment and shame, and it's unfortunate, is they think they're stupid. They think there's something wrong with them for not being able to figure this out. And it's not a lack of intelligence. It's competing priorities, fears, so many emotions. Um, You know, mom guilt gets in there. And for some of us, there's an actual limit of resources. And so maybe you're not going to get everything done and picking and choosing about what gets done and what doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. It's much, that's so much harder than just making the math work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the idea of like live below your means and make a budget, like, okay, it's just, that's just not helpful advice. It's just not really helpful. It's not that it's not true. It's just super unhelpful. And when we, there's so much secrecy and judgment and shame in our financial lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that makes it really difficult to solve the problems because we don't talk about it. And you ask people in the middle class, how much money did your parents make? And they're like, I don't know. We never talked about money. Most people n- the, never got any sort of meaningful education about money from their families, never mind school. But the other, the other thing is, is learning how to do the math is only a portion. It's only a portion because it still leaves all the, the, like the emotional intelligence around scarcity is worth way more than being able to do the math. Knowing, knowing what scarcity feels like for you and being able to sit still in it is going to be worth more than having the most fantastic budget in the world. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, cause that's where you get off track. You know, having your life, like having the life that you're created super clear. You, I mean, most of us, we have to, we have to undo childhood damage to be able to get there is really the truth about it. And so that's, you're not going to learn that in ninth grade math. So I, I do agree that it needs to be taught in school, but it also needs to be taught with all these other aspects of things, because the, the math alone, understanding how an APR works doesn't help you make great decisions with debt. I know lots of really smart people, lots of incredibly smart people who could tell you exactly how APR works and still have it working against them. And it's not because they're stupid. It's not because they don't, it's not because they lack intelligence. 
it's because they don't have the emotional awareness or they didn't have their priorities straight or they made a choice to pay the interest as an investment on something. There's a lot of other reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, Same. are you with me there? Does that make sense? I'm a hundred percent with you. It's just absolutely fascinating how the, the two correlate the, the emotional intelligence and finances It's amazing. And then how you have to put them together. Wow. So, so uh, I encourage everyone listening to check out your website, sheep to shark.com. And where do they start? I know that you have a questionnaire on your website. Is that a good place to start? Yeah. So we have a financial freedom quiz. And I think by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have your, there'll be a link. There'll be a link to find your bleed. Um, Should we talk about the affiliate program? Cause all of do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Right. So, and, and, you know, the, there's, there's so much uh, overlap that we decided to partner with sheep to shark choose love because this is so important. And I'm sure that everybody's listening would agree with me uh, that there's such a desperate need for this. So you you can also go to our website and you will find a link uh, to sheep to shark and a link to these programs. Do you want to talk about that, Brie? Yep. So find your bleed is the, is the first program. And we talked about that. So that's where you're going to track your money, get rid of the waste, increase your efficiency, um, and break down the habit loops that cause low joy purchases. And then from there, plenty will be offered at the bottom of the screen and you can take it or not take it. It's a, it's a add on. And that's the, it's a short program. It's about an hour of content and it comes with worksheets and you'll understand the difference between scarcity and abundance thinking. You'll get some techniques to learn on it and you'll get the worksheets to start to understand what it is you do when you're acting in scarcity. So that way you can have the self-awareness of, wow, I'm really feeling the desire to go buy 600 cans of tomatoes or, wow, I'm really feeling FOMO about this. I'm really having it, you know. It's so fascinating. You can use this in every aspect of your life. Oh yeah. Scare, scare, that emotional intelligence work is, um, you'll, cause it's, scarcity thinking is about time. It's about energy. It's about the way we think about ourselves and then relationships. <laughs> yeah. And so then the next page it'll take you to is an offer for the invisible system. And that's where the, the structure is. And the invisible system is heavily, heavily discounted in this offer for you guys. Um, so it's, it's, it's the better price to get all three than it is to just go to my website and just buy the invisible system on its own. And the, the invisible system is the work that I do with like all of my private coaching clients. We put these, it's because it's financial infrastructure. It makes your life so much easier. It it's reduces like the mental load of carrying the finances. It reduces time. You set things up and it just makes everything super, super clean and easy. Um, and so it's, a, I, I mean, it's the system I use. It's a system my teams use. It's, it's wonderful. Clients have great success with it. Um, and so all of the money that's, I mean, a huge portion of the money that's collected is going right back to Choose Love to fund their, their school programs, to fund, you know, they're in 10, you guys are in 10,000 schools. And so obviously there's a cost to that. So being able to carry that Choose Love mission is going to be funded um, through everybody who comes through, through this offer. Yeah. And we thank you so much for that. It's going to be a wonderful partnership. So many people are going to benefit. And, you know, when you, when you were talking about this, I thought about how this could uh, benefit educators, Uh, parents, definitely. I mean, I was a single mom. I wish that I had had this 20 years ago, I would be in a completely different financial situation than I am now. And uh, that's okay because you can start anytime. Right. So um, I, I really, I really appreciate this. I appreciate your time today, Brie. Thank you for partnering with us to help us create a safer, more peaceful and loving world, uh, even with our finances. And, uh, I know we're going to be doing a lot more together. So, our choose love audience, stay tuned. And do you have any final words for everybody? I don't think so. It's been my pleasure to be here. I'm excited. And, um, yeah. And then, yeah, I'll see you potentially in the, in the, actually we have a Facebook group where you can get some of my content for free. Uh, my Facebook page is called, uh, shape to shark with Bree Sedano. And from there they'll invite, like, you'll get an invite. It's called shark school. It's a, it's just a free community. There's content in there delivered all the time 
for free. And so if somebody wanted to, if they were interested, but wanted to get to know me a little better before they invested in anything, that'd be a great spot for them to go. Oh, that's awesome. So how did they find it on Facebook? So it's uh, sheep to shark with Bree Sedano is my page. And then that will, there's like our community tab under there and it will take you to the communities. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for choosing love. Thanks for choosing love, Bree. And we will talk to you soon. So good. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.